please, this last and not least, pray for our country. Amen? Because we need it. Amen? Uh, Christians, just to let you know, if you don't know, God is still on the throne. Amen. Okay? But here's what I want you Christians to know. What if it don't go your way? Are you still gonna are you still gonna serve the Lord? Come on, that's my question. What if it don't go the way you want it to? Is God still gonna be God? Come come on, we gotta get real with this praying stuff. Because I get a lot of people, I get a lot of people that get so focused on just getting their prayer answered the way they want their prayer answered and the way they ought to think it ought to go, that they forget. First of all, that God's still in control, and God will do just exactly what God wants to do. And God doesn't come down and take a vote. God doesn't say, hey, Tammy, you want me to do this? Hey, Ruth, you want me to do this? Hey, Roberta, do you want me to do this? He's just going to do what he wants to do. He don't ask you. He don't ask me. So my question, my, my uh, admonition is, even if it don't go the way you want it to, remember God is on the throne, amen, and he will always and forever be where our focus as Christians should be, amen. Our hope ain't in a person, our hope ain't in a party, our hope is in Christ and him only. Guess what, and I, I know this is going to bruise some egos, and Mike, Mike might even turn this live stream off when I say this, but God loves the people that you hate. God loves Republicans. God loves Democrats. God loves Independents. God loves everyone. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Remember that song? Come on. Jesus don't just love you. I know that's the way we start thinking, okay? Oh, I ain't going there yet, okay? I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Yeah, yeah. You got the whole world. I can't do it, okay? I, I can do it. I don't need to, okay? But we need to remember that God is not just in it for you. That's an Americanized version of faith. Faith ain't just about you. Faith in Christ ain't just about you. I know it's hard to see. Because we all think it's about me, right? That's how, normally how it works, right? You don't go to the store and go, man, what am I going to buy for Kevin most of the time? Most of the time you go, man, does this blouse look good on me? Or does this sweater look good on me? Or does these shoes look good on me? You don't go, man, I wonder if Pastor like those. <laughs> no, nobody goes and says that except Carmen, maybe, you know, or Tammy, obviously. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. We do. We do that, though. You know what I mean? We kind of tend to get stuck on our own viewpoint, and we think, since that's what I think, then that's got to be what God thinks. No, God's ways are higher than your ways. God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts, okay? So whatever you think God's doing, it's beyond that. 
Okay? However high and lofty you have an idea of who God is, he's bigger than that. Okay? So we got to understand when we say God's sovereign, it's even bigger than that. Amen? When we say God's in control, it's even bigger than that. Amen? And, and I don't know who told you, but your will will never outweigh God's will. Come on. And, and I don't care if it looks like all the world's winning and the world doesn't. It. Look, God's still winning. I don't care what they say. God's going to win in the end. I got the book, and I know the end of the story. Amen? God wins. Amen? That's where our faith should be. So let's pray for these this morning and pray over the message, and we'll get started. Okay? Father God, we just ask that you would bless and touch and heal all those whom you will on this list, Lord. We pray that you would be with Mike and Judy and their family. Pray that you'd be with Bryant and Sierra and their family. Pray, Lord, that you would be with Bonnie and Ella and Charles. And, Lord, we pray that you would bring a spirit of repentance, a spirit of grace, a spirit of peace upon this great land of ours called the United States of America. Lord, we pray that you would give us the only solution that will matter, Lord, is the heart change of men and women who come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. We know that our hope for America does not rest in politicians, but it rests solely in the God who sovereignly ordained the making of this great nation. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us that you would cause repentance to flow throughout the land and that you would heal this land that we live in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Now that we've got the important stuff out of the way, we're going to move on to some more important stuff. Oh, you thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? The Word of God is more important than anything. Amen. As believers in Jesus Christ, every single denomination that I know of has a view of this book that sounds something like this. The Word of God is our supreme authority and the rule of our life and godliness and how we are to live our life in worship and service to God. Sounds something like that. Almost every denomination that I've ever read. Okay? If there's a Christian denomination, that's their view of God's word. God's word is the final authority. Amen? I was having conversations this week plenty of times with several different people about the word of God, and I was having uh, in-depth discussion about other things that you can learn from, commentaries, older uh, older texts that weren't added into scripture. And those texts and those commentaries are great, but here's the problem. If the word of God says one thing and your commentary says something else, the commentary is wrong, not the Bible. Amen. The word of God is true. Amen. No matter what. If, if I have a belief that's different than the word of God, the word of God is not what should change. It's my belief. Because I should believe everything that's written in this book. Amen. That's our faith in 
understanding what God's word is. Amen? All right. Well, we're going to finish up 2 Timothy 2 today. Are you ready? Amen. Well, you know what I meant to be a two-part sermon ends up being a three-part sermon, okay? Uh, we preached two weeks on the first 13 verses of this chapter, and now we're going to use one week to finish up this chapter, okay? And, I'm, and, and I say that very loosely because I really hope I can get it done today. Just hold on and we'll get there, amen? I'll try not to make it an all-day affair because I know everybody wants to get to the potato bar, okay? <laughs> but let's read from verse 14 on, okay? Remind them these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling, the King James says, rightly dividing the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babblings, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene among them or yeah, Hymenius, there we go, and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's foundation, it stands. Amen. God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, a great house, now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honorable use, set apart as holy, useful in the master's house, ready for every good work. So flee useful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant conversations or controversies, excuse me. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, apt, able to teach, patient, enduring evil, correcting his opponent with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil being captured by him to do his will. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would bless the reading of your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us in our understanding of your word, that we might know you better by having read it. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
amen and amen. Now I want to start this with this heading, the section that we're reading in my Bible and even in my King James Bible is titled, A Worker Approved of God. Okay? So I kind of titled this that way because the first half of this section at least deals with Timothy and behavior. Okay? So let's get through it first. He's charging Timothy here in verse 14 to not let men or women in the church quarrel over words. He says, he says here in verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God. When he says charge them before God, this is a commandment, okay? Command them before God not to quarrel about words. Well, yeah, hold on a minute. Why is Paul saying don't quarrel about words? Does that mean we can't have a disagreement? Does that mean we can't uh, come to I'll get into that. Because it's clear from first, uh, where am I? Uh, here we go. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, starting there, Paul comes and openly confronts Peter to his face, right? Why? Why did he confront Peter? Because Peter, being a Jew who had been saved by grace, was trying to make Gentiles go get circumcised and live according to the law. And Paul comes to Peter and says, Hey, how are you, a Jew who lives like a Gentile, trying to make Gentiles live like Jews? Amen? Now, the first, first thing of that statement to Peter was he was a Jew, but he didn't live like one. Notice what Paul said. He said, how are you, being a Jew, who live like a Gentile, going to make Gentiles try to live like Jews? Circumcision means nothing. You can circumcise the skin on a man. It doesn't mean his heart's circumcised and consecrated to God. That's what Paul was telling him. So well, why was Paul arguing over words? Because he was arguing over gospel truth that was being taught. Amen? When it's the gospel at stake, it's worth the argument. What he's talking about here, and we'll get into this farther into the, the, the wording, but he says, uh, in verse 16, he said, but avoid irreverent babbling. Now, that irreverent babbling means un, uh, unreverent or uh, puffed up, prideful babbling. Now, that word babbling is talking about nonsensical, ignorant talk. That's what it means. That's the, that's the just definition of that word babbling. It's not the old myths that we talked about at the beginning of 1 Timothy or the myths that we talked about at the beginning of 2 Timothy. But this here is just ignorant talk that is not found in Scripture, but it's opinion and someone trying to pass it off as gospel, okay? 
So we got to understand what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about deep theological gospel issues. He's talking about whether you should take your shoes off at the front door or not. You know what I mean? He's talking about whether uh, women ought to wear their hair way down here or whatever. That's irreverent. Irreverent. It, 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 it's not a part of the gospel. It's not about salvation. Okay? So on those things, we shouldn't argue. We shouldn't have a fuss over them. Okay? We shouldn't have a fuss over what day we're going to have the, you know, potato bar or what day we're going to, you know, have our outreach day or what. We shouldn't be arguing about those things. Here, Paul is not saying to that. He's not saying not to argue at all since he himself opposed Peter to his face in Galatians 2 and 11. Paul readily defended and argued where the gospel was concerned. The prohibition here, and I want you to get this, this is important. The prohibition here is meaningless arguments. How many of you ever had an argument that was real meaningless? How, how many would be ventured to say that about 95% of the arguments that you ever had were pretty meaningless, okay? Most every time I can tell you that arguments chalk up to a couple things. Arrogance, I want to be right, right? Disrespect, I, I don't believe you. I don't want to listen to you because I think I'm better than you, right? That's a, two real main reasons that we get into arguments because I'm right, you're wrong, and I'm going to show you that I'm superior by arguing my case, okay? Later on in this chapter, we're going to see that that's what false teachers do. They're going to be argumentative. They're going to want to try to prove their point. Amen? I remember when I was a young man, that's why he says flee youthful lust because it's a youthful thing to want to argue about everything. Amen. How many of you know that? Yeah. How many of you, since you're a little older, argue a little less than you did when you was younger? Or a whole lot less? <laughs> Amen? So it's, we see, a, we see a couple things in this. Number one, that arguing meaningless things is not going to be beneficial to anybody. Amen? Which is why most of us who are a little older stop arguing about every little thing. Right? Because we realize that's not going to get me anywhere. Amen? Paul pretty much says this later on. So the prohibition here is meaningless arguments that would have no positive or practical impact on the hearers. Notice what he says. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good. Notice what he says. Does no good. Okay? It, it, it's not fruitful. It's not going to help. Amen? And then he says, but only ruins the hearers. Wow. That's pretty, that's a pretty deep statement right there. Ruins the hearers. Yeah. Because here's the thing, and we've talked about this over and over and over and over. Now, when we, me and Greg, me and Greg can have serious, deep 
theological conversation, and we can disagree on stuff, and we don't raise our voice. We don't, we're not arguing, we're not fighting over it. You see what I mean? But there's other people. Come on. I know this. Me and Carmen, the minute voices start getting raised, the other person shuts you off. They are no longer hearing what you're saying. The minute that you start hollering, oh, oh you're going to do it my way. The minute I hear, you ain't listening. The minute she hears, you're not going to do this. Ears get shut off and voices get raised. And then no one is benefiting. Amen? So we understand why he's saying it just from a practical application. But he's saying that those kind of arguments ruin those who, who, who are trying to hear it. Amen? Well, what happens? You start getting angry and disputing and, and argumentative with those people you're trying to reach. They don't want to listen to you. They're done. You lost that conversation. And you may have lost opportunities to bring more conversation. Amen? So it's important for us to walk in grace, gentleness, when we are even trying to correct people. You understand that it's not the correction that's important. It's the turning around that's important. It's the repentance that's important, okay? That's why Paul, at the end of this, tells him, you want to do this so that those people you're talking to may repent. And turn back, right? Come to their senses. But they ain't going to come to your, their senses when you're being a jackhole. Okay? That's, the, that's a polite term for other things. But they're not going to, right? When you're being mean, when you're, you're going to listen to this. This is what the scripture says. Right? The classic Bible thumper. Look, I don't have a problem bringing scriptures to bear and showing people what the scriptures say. But how you do it is a big deal. How you present it is a big deal. And I've got some circles of people that they ain't afraid to tell you the truth. They don't care if it hurts your feelings, okay? Now, is it the truth that's hurting their feelings? Or how you're doing it. Because that matters. I don't care what they say. Or I'll present the truth. However it comes out. Nope. It, it ain't even that. He said you got to do this gentle. Kind. In love. Right? So just telling somebody the truth. And being a rude jerk face. Is not going to be the appropriate way to do it. No, you're not offended with me. You're just offended with the truth. Actually, it was the tone of your voice. It was the smarty aleck attitude that you had when you were delivering it. It was the I know more than you and I'm better than you attitude that you had when you brought the scriptures to me. Okay? There's a way of doing it that is right. And then there's a way of doing it that's wrong or else Paul wouldn't be telling Timothy to do it in love, to do it with gentleness. Paul knew that Christians, y'all said it, 
Paul knew that Christians could get an attitude like I'm better than you. Like I know more than you. Like I, I got it all worked out and you don't. And here's how the cow ate the cabbage and if you don't like it, you ain't got a problem with me. You got a problem with scripture. No, actually, I had a problem with the way you're wagging your hand and wagging your head at me like you knew that you was right and I better just come to grips with the fact that you're so much better than me. There's a way to do it, and there's a way to not do it. Amen? Doing it in love will not look like I just looked. Right? It won't. Paul here is saying these kind of, especially over something so dumb, okay? Most of the time we argue over the dumbest, most stupidest thing, okay? Watch this. I'm going to show you some of the dumb things that we argue over in Christianity, okay? Little bitty things, okay? I know plenty of people that believe 100% wholeheartedly, everybody in this room that I know of knows Jesus, okay? But you guys probably like your own kind of Christian music. You might even like your own kind of just music. Come on. Let's be real. And right now, there's arguments going through all through the church over this kind of music or that kind of music. And we're, we get into deep-seated theological reasons why you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And in reality, that don't have anything to do with your salvation. Period. It's not about the gospel at that point. But we live in a day and an age where we all agree on the gospel, but if I disagree with any of these peripheral things, then we're done. That's not right. We ought to at least be able to have the conversation. We ought to at least be able to have the talk. Amen? Without throwing each other under the bus. I'll leave it alone. It's, it's terrible the way Christians think that they can treat people however they want and then hide behind the guise of truth and say, oh, no, I did it in love. I bet you if I tape recorded your silly butt talking to me crazy like you were and played it back to you, you'd look at yourself different. Amen? You'd go, oh, man, I really wasn't acting in love. No, you weren't. You were being a smart jerk face. That's what you were doing. Stop being smart jerk faces. That's not Christian. That's not Christ-like. Amen? Well, I don't have a problem with a brother showing me anything. It's the way in which a lot of people do it, and it makes a difference. And Paul is encouraging Timothy to tell the people at Ephesus, tell them, don't argue like this. Amen? And then he goes on in the end and tells him, a servant of God must not be quarrelsome. Amen? Let's move on. I'm going to get through this. I promise. I, I promise I'm going to get through it today. Do your best 
Verse 15, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling or rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I want to stop right here for a second because this do your best thing, people who say, well, see, you got a responsibility in this. Now, we do, and I'm not discounting that, but here's what you don't have a responsibility for, and I'm going to show you in the text. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Now, first of all, there's nothing in my goodness or my good works that will ever make me approved of God. The only reason I'm approved of God in the first place is because of Christ. Amen? So I don't want you to get a, a theological mishandling on what he's saying here. He's not saying do your best to show yourself approved to God so you can be saved. He's talking to people who already know God. He's talking to people who have already been saved and are already approved of God for salvation. Amen? Now he's saying, do your very best to live like you should. Amen? Do your best to live according to that. Uh, the, the ESV study Bible says this. He says, do your best. Be zealous. Zealously pursue God's approval or that which would be approved of God. Amen? Not that we're trying to gain favor with God for salvation, but we're living our life in such a way that God would look at it and say, I'm happy with that. Amen? That's what we're talking about. Not salvation, but my conduct. I'm to pursue that. He didn't say you're always going to make it. He just said pursue it, right? You're supposed to try. And I know in this day and age of American Christianity, where we want it heated up in the microwave for 30 seconds, give me the gospel, let me get saved, and then I'm going to go about my day and do my thing. We don't want to put any effort. Amen? But he's telling you here, you got to try. you got to be zealous to live your life where God would look at it and go, I like that. I'm pleased with that. Amen? It's not about salvation. It's about doing my best. To live for God. Amen? Now, he also says, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is an important statement. Because right now, today, you've got a lot of people that want to just super spiritualize the Bible. Who want to take their own interpretation of what the scripture says. But what we must never do. Now, all scripture has spiritual meaning, some way, somehow, okay? But what we can't do is change what a text says to make it say what I want it to say because this is the deep spiritual meaning of that text. I don't care. You can't change what it says to make it fit what you want, even if what you want sounds good and probably is a good fundamental truth. It doesn't matter. You can't change what the scripture says. Amen? So you've got to know how to rightly divide scripture. Amen? Now I'm going to give you a, another uh, hammer, or a, a, you know, I'm going to throw the gauntlet down here to you. 
So if we're going to rightly divide the word of truth, that means there has to be people around us that will say, no, that's not what that means. And we don't like that, right? We don't like when somebody else tells that's not what the scripture says right there. That's not what it's saying, right? And most of us, we like our own, the sound of our own voice, and we think we're right most of the time. And that's who we want to listen to most of the time is me. But in our life with Christ, we have to listen to other people who know Christ. When they start saying, hey, is that what that really says? We need to be able to go, you know what? Let's look at it together. Amen? You know, that stops lots of arguments right there. Right there because once you just take them right back to the Word and you read the Word, and then you go, oh, that's pretty plain. Yep, it said what it said. Amen? Then you don't have to argue. The scripture bears witness of itself. Amen? Scripture will interpret scripture if you listen to what it says and not try to make it say what you want it to say. Amen? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Notice we're getting back into uh, uh, irreverent babblings, these, these arguments, these quarrels. Okay, watch this. Verse 16, but avoid irreverent babbling. Now, I want to read what the King James says. It said, profane and vain babblings, right? That's what King James says, profane and vain babblings. I want you to notice, number one, profane. The word profane, what does that mean? That means to twist, right? That means to, to uh, lessen or to uh, 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 change. You're profaning. Let's think of it this way. You're using it incorrectly. What, do you, what does it mean when you're taking the Lord's name in vain? Right? You're profaning his name because you're taking it in vain. You see why the King James puts those together? Profane and vain babblings. What he's saying is... You're using scripture incorrectly or you're using uh, what Jesus said incorrectly. Therefore, you're making vain what he said because you're profaning it. Amen. So we got to understand this profane babbling. And, it, it, and it's probably something really dumb in the first place, right? It's not nothing we need to put our stake on and say, you know, it's like uh, uh, the, the angels that or the men, excuse me, that came to Abram. We always say angels. Okay? That's how most of us understand it, okay? And, and it says that Abraham calls one of them Lord and stuff. You know what I mean? But it never actually uses the word angel. Okay? It never actually uses that word. Okay? Even in the Hebrew, it doesn't use the word for angel, which would be messenger anyway, okay? But, irregardless, there's a lot of people that say it's angels, a lot of people who say it's not. Does it matter? Does it change the outcome of the story? No. Is it something that I should put a, a stake on and say, oh, now that you don't believe that, Greg, I'm done. We're not talking no more. I'm going to start a whole new church that believes it's angels. 
But well, you just gotta be wise. Pick your battles, right? That's not something worth fighting over, amen? And it's definitely not something worth twisting around and getting all worked up over. Notice what he says. He says, but avoid. I want you to understand what this word avoid means, okay? The word in the King James, it says shun, right? Avoid or shun, correct? You know what this word means? Literally, it means to stand above and to separate from, okay? That's what the word shun means. I'm going to be, I'm going to take the high ground and I'm going to separate from this kind of arguing. Okay, he says, shun, avoid irreverent or profane and vain babblings. Okay, now watch this. Why? Because it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. What does God call backbiting? What does God call gossip? Amen. They're in the same category as these vain and profane babblings, okay? Arguing over words, arguing over little things that are not important. But we may, I tell you what, I've been in business meetings at churches that you'd have thought was the WWE or WWF, however old you are to remember which one it is. <laughs> Amen? People red in the face, screaming at each other. And it was all over who and when or what they were going to have, you know, a church dinner or a church function or who's going to talk at it. And silly, silly things. Amen. Watch this. He says, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Herminius and Philippus. Okay, now watch this. It'll spread like gangrene. False teaching or vain babblings or arguments in the church spread like gangrene. They spread like a cancer. They spread like a canker, I think is what the King James uses. Does it use canker? Verse 17. Does it use canker? Yeah. Canker was their word for a cancerous skin cell or something, okay? Canker was, that's how they uh, said cancerous thing. And the modern translations use the word gangrene because that's the closest assumption that we can get from it. But it's just one little box. It's one little lump of leaven that can spoil the bunch, right? So we got to understand that this little tiny argument in the church, it really ain't a little tiny argument. It needs to be put to a stop because it's going to spread like canker. It's going to spread like gangrene. Now, we were at a church where I used to pass through that that had somebody come in and teach some stuff, and it just started running through the church. And pretty soon, this church that had 60, 65, 70 people in it had 10 people. Over an argument. Okay? It happens. And, and Paul's trying to warn Timothy to put that stuff to a stop. Amen? Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, 
I can disagree with Ruth, I can disagree with you, but it should never get to the point where we're going to separate just because we don't agree on something so trivial, so silly. Amen? And if you think me and Tammy haven't had no disagreements, try again. All right, let me get through here. Uh, verse 18, he says this, uh, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has happened already. Now we're getting some background into one of these myths, okay? Now this myth here is a important myth because he brought it up, okay? He said what it was. He said he named one of them, okay? But this one here, he's telling you that those little arguments, those little vain babblings will lead to these kind of errors, Okay, so the little argument will lead people astray. It will ruin them, and it will lead them to things like this. Now watch this. He says, who have swerved from the truth. Who swerved from the truth? Herminius and Philetus, right? They swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, and they are upsetting the faith of some. Now, we still face this same dumb argument today. Amen. There is a section and a group of people who believe that, the, that Jesus Christ already came back, that we're living in the millennium, we're already living in the resurrected, and look, brother, I'm sorry, but in heaven, Amen. there ain't no mourning, no crying, no death, no sin, so we ain't there yet. Matter of fact, I ain't seen no resurrected bodies walking around nowhere. Well, he's not going to come back peaceable either. God is going to be missing. Exactly. Exactly. I want you to understand that this was the error that the little arguments led to, though. You see what I'm saying? Those little cankers, those little cancers, that little bit of gangrene can lead to some serious theological issues if we don't nip it in the bud. And how do I do that? You have grace for me. I have grace for you. We get the scriptures out. We honestly, honestly study the scriptures. Not with our agenda. Not trying to prove our point. But we look at what it says. Amen. Right. Well, yeah, he and he took he took that a little extreme, yeah. right? Right. Now watch this. Falsely stating the resurrection has already happened. Notice that this is what Paul says they are swerving from the truth. There's no way physically to prove a resurrection has happened yet. Amen. There's no way biblically to prove that a resurrection has happened yet. The resurrection at the last day has not happened. So we got to understand if somebody's teaching that, they're absolutely have swerved from the truth. Amen. I want to read uh, real quickly. Uh, which one am I? Okay. Okay. Right here. Let me read this real quick. In my... Uh, 
R.C. Sproul says this. He says, the resurrection has already happened. This is uh, uh, the, the title of this section. The false belief, this false belief denied the future bodily resurrection of Christians and affirmed instead that the spirit that a spiritual resurrection at conversion was the sum total of a Christian's resurrection, which is not true. We are promised a physical, bodily resurrection. Amen? Thus, this false belief resulted in an overemphasis on present experiences. Furthermore, to deny a final bodily resurrection is to deny that there is a final reversal of Adam's sin, which not only introduces spiritual death, but also physical death. Thus, it is to deny a final salvation of the whole person in an eternal new creation. Consequently, such teaching is heresy. Amen? Because we are promised a physical resurrection. Not just a spiritual resurrection at salvation, but a bodily resurrection at the last day. Amen? Because here's what's going to happen. I, right now, am saved, but my body is not. My body will be saved from sin at the resurrection. When I am made incorruptible, when I, which is mortal, takes off mortality and puts on immortality, then, and only then, at the resurrection of the dead, will I be completely saved. There's a sense of, I am saved right now. My body, my life is constantly being saved from sin but one day I will be ultimately saved at a bodily resurrection. Amen? Jesus didn't pro promise some spiritual resurrection. He promised a physical resurrection. Amen? So we need to understand that that is a big deal. And it was the little errors that led to that one. Okay? Just remember that. It's the little tiny thing that you think may not be important that you're off on that could lead to that. But at the same time, it's not worth quarreling with your brother over that thing. Amen? We need to understand if we're going to correct people, it's got to be done in love. He tells us this here in just a minute. Let's finish this real quick. But God's foundation, he says some of people, it, it, it's caused some people, what did he say? I'm going to get the right words here. And they are upsetting the faith of some. Paul's answer to this. But God's firm foundation stands. Amen. Notice that I'm going to probably be wrong about some things before I go to heaven. Come on, I mean, I, maybe you're better than me. Maybe you got it all figured out, but I ain't got it figured out. And, and I'm pretty sure there might be some things I'm wrong about when I go to heaven. But it, that, that's not going to determine whether I get to heaven, okay? Because God's foundation is sure. And I'm not saved by what I know. I'm not saved 
by, by, I'm not saved by how good I am. I'm saved because Jesus bought me with a price. He paid the price for my sins. He died. He rose again to save me. Amen. I ain't going to be perfect when I cross the Jordan. I ain't going to be perfect when I get to heaven. But God will surely keep me. Because my foundation is not in that. Now notice he says this. But God's foundation stands firm. The Lord knows who are his. Everybody hold your hand up. If you're his, it ain't no surprise to God. He isn't going, man, man, they believe this. Now i got to kick them out. He ain't going, you know, they had, they had communion once a month instead of every day. i got to kick them out. Yeah, Ruth dyed her hair red. I can't let her in. Ain't going to do that, right? That's silly stuff. We got yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all are out. Y'all are out. No, that's not how it works, right? We got to understand God's foundation is firm. He saved me, okay? He saved me before I ever even knew any spiritual, theological, deep-seated anything. All I knew when I got saved was Jesus died for me, and if I would confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, that I would be saved. That's all I knew. Amen. I didn't know all this other stuff. This is part of the learning process. Part of my growing in faith. Growing in Christ. Amen. Let's not get it twisted around. Amen. Amen. Lastly, he says this. He says, But let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So I'm still required in Christ to try to get away from those things that don't please God. Amen? Next, we get two verses that pretty much go together. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay and some of honor and some of dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honorable use, set apart as holy, useful in the master's hand, ready for every good work. Now, in spite, I want you to notice this. What is dishonorable includes doctrinal and moral errors since both are mentioned in this letter. Now, when, he, when I read that in my uh, commentary, I was like, man, I never actually put that in there. That what he's talking about, notice that he was talking about words and talking about arguments and talking about uh, 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 the resurrection and having a right understanding of that. So the, the honorable and dishonorable use isn't to say that, oh, you know, it's all right for you to be a wash pot and me to be a, uh, that's not what he's saying because he said if you cleanse yourself, now notice this cleansing is not you're going to save yourself, okay? <laughs> we don't want to misunderstand this. The cleansing is he's saying I'm departing I'm doing exactly what it said in verse 19. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Okay? So instead of just being okay with being the wash pot, I should want to be cleaner. I should want to be of more use, of more value, of more worth. Amen? 
We used to sing them song about getting crowns in our jewels in our crowns, right? You understand? Those things are not there when there's a lack of effort. You'll still get a crown, it's why I know jewels in it. You know, remember that old song? I'm just going by the song. I'm not going by scripture, okay? I'm just going by the song. Yeah. Don't, don't crucify me over this. This is one of them small things we don't need to argue over, okay? <laughs> but what it's saying is you're going to depart from iniquity, so you want to be a good, worthy, honorable vessel. Amen? This is what he's talking about. So I have to not only uh, understand doctrinal and moral errors, which are both in you in this letter. I also, when I do realize there's those errors or other people are walking in those errors, I'm going to do what's following this statement. Okay, watch this. He says, flee youthful lusts of the flesh. Amen? Uh, the uh, ESV says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on God from a pure heart. Now, this youthful lust of the flesh is not just a youthful sexual lust, but passions that may cause Timothy to quarrel, that may cause Timothy to be overly passionate in debating things to where he would ruin those who hear him because he's being overly passionate and argumentative and quarrelsome about words. This, you got to realize this is a letter. And everything is in the context of what we're talking about here. Amen? He doesn't just throw this metaphor in the middle of this that doesn't have anything to do with what's around it. Amen? So the vessels of honor and the vessels of dishonor all apply to this understanding of how I'm not going to quarrel about words as a servant of God. Amen? Now, the pastor ain't the only one that's a servant of God. You realize every one of you are servants of God. Amen? Finally, he says, have nothing. Not, look at your neighbor and tell him, nothing. Have nothing to do. Nothing to do with foolish, ignorant uh, uh, controversies you know that they only breed quarrels. Amen? Stupid. Yes, the NIV does use the word stupid. Stupid and foolish arguments, right? That's what the NIV said. He said, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant, stupid controversies. They only breed quarrels and strife. Unlearned. The Bible says that these are unlearned people, right? Most of the time, people who are ignorant about something do like to argue like they know what they're talking about. And if you ever notice, the people that actually know something about it just sit back and watch. Why? Because they don't want to get an argument over it because they're pretty sure of what they believe. And they ain't worried about what you're saying. I don't need you to convince me. I know. Amen. 
But I'm going to step back, and then when you ask me, I'm going to tell you the truth. But I'm going to do it in love. Amen. Now watch this. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. That's what we should be doing. When we get stupid, ignorant, foolish conversations going in the church, y'all just walk off. Hold on, I got something else to do. Amen? Yes. He says, have nothing to do with them. And he's reiterating the fact that earlier he told you to shun them, to avoid them. Amen? Yes. To take the high ground, be above it, and not do that. Amen? So we got to understand, he's repeating himself, he's making a point, right? Let's keep going, I'm almost done. And the Lord's servant, everybody hold your hand up. The Lord's servant, that's you, okay? Not just me, it ain't just me. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Now the King James says, all men, right? King James says, all men, that means everybody. That, what that does mean, and yes, when you start bringing up, does that mean sister Susie so-and-so that's wrong over here? And this person that's all got their theological twists all messed up, and this person over here that's listening to Stephen Burdick? Yes! You have to be nice to all of them. Whether they're wrong, whether they're right, and actually in this text, Paul has unbelievers in mind writing it. Amen? You're to be kind to everyone. The servant of the Lord must be kind to everyone, able to teach. And we already discussed how you teach matters. Amen? Amen. You can't be quarrelsome while you're doing it. It can't be a, a jerk-faced smarty pants, right? We, we, we had a couple of real deep theological terms through around there, jerk-faced and smarty pants. <laughs> you can't do that, amen? A teacher's not going to get anywhere that way, amen? Now, finally, he says, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent with gentleness that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Notice that my kind, patient ability to teach, not yell, not argue, but to teach, my kind, patient ability to teach, God could use that to perhaps grant them repentance that would lead to a knowledge of the truth. Notice it is not you that delivers the knowledge of the truth, but God and the word of God, amen? The word, his word is truth. God is truth, amen? He'll reveal truth. You can't be quarrelsome, mean, hateful about it. You have to be patient, kind, and able to teach them in a way that will cause them to want to, to look into it farther and to seek the truth, amen? And then he finally he finishes, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Amen. 
It's not. You're not as servants of God, as, as workers who will not be ashamed. Amen? How many of you want to be a workman not ashamed, but know how to rightly divide the word of truth? Amen? So as we do that, we have to understand that just because I may have this fact figured out, may have this spiritual uh, understanding figured out, this portion of scripture figured out, when I'm conveying it to other people, I can't be a jerk face, smarty pants. I have to be kind and patient and able to teach so that they might come to their senses. Amen? And I think we need many more Christians following this example of learning how to bring correction in a way that's gentle, loving, and not a jerk face smarty pants. Amen? You can take that and use it all this week, okay? Jerk face smarty pants. You look at somebody when they're starting to be rude to you and say, You're just being a jerk face smarty pants. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have used that one, but you know, <laughs> here we are. Praise the Lord. So my my question in closing is as Christians, you know, it said that we are to uh, flee these youthful lusts. We're to, to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and what? Peace. Notice that peace is in there. Who am I trying to get peace at? With my brother, with that person I'm trying to win, with the person I'm talking to. Amen? And it's not going to happen through quarrelsome, uh, rude, corrective behavior. Because what happens most of the time, and I can see it with my teenager, and I can see it with Carmen and I when we're even correcting each other. It's not just how you say or it's not just what you're saying. How you say it, right? How many tell your kids that? It ain't what you said, it's how you said it to me, right? So that's important when we're talking to people about Christ. You're not going to win people by being contentious and quarrelsome. You'll win people by being gentle, patient, and teaching. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray.